Hello, welcome to the podcast and the broadcast of Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter. I am very, very excited today to have a historian as our guest, Mr. Ned Donahue, who is the author of the forthcoming nonfiction historical narrative book titled Friends as Enemies, The Quaker's Exile Amid the British Invasion of Philadelphia, 1777 through 1780. Ned, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Daryl. Nice to see you. So before we get started into this, this great historical uh, nonfiction narrative, if you could share with our audience uh, your expansive and impressive background. <laughs> well, so I had a 34-year career, 34 career as a, an attorney in Philadelphia with a large law firm. And I retired in 2003. And then I spent five years with the Philadelphia Orchestra as a fundraising professional. And then I retired again and decided I wanted to be a historian. What, so what, I, prompted, what prompted you to want to be a historian at, at that stage in your life? That's very interesting. Actually, uh, it goes back to um, uh, a relative who told me stories about George Washington and the French and Indian War when I was five or six years old. Wow. Okay. And being that we are in historical uh, Philadelphia, which, which really works out. So what prompted you to write this book and why this book and why this topic? That's a, it's an interesting question. Um, so my first preschool was a Quaker school in Downingtown, Chester County, Pennsylvania. And I took my naps on the benches in the friend's meeting house. So a few years later, we moved to a town called Westchester and there was a friend's meeting house one block south of our home and another one one block north of our home. So everywhere I went, there seemed to be Quakers. And I uh, began to get an interest in Quakers. And uh, when I came to Philadelphia, I had clients who were Quakers. I um, spent a lot of time uh, doing uh, probate and trust law work, uh, and um, also a lot of time in nonprofit institutions. And uh, when I was about 50, um, I read a book that referred to the Quaker exile in 1777. And I immediately said, oh my God, that couldn't be. I never heard of such a thing. It was um, a book called Family Portrait by Catherine Drinker Bowen, who was a great uh, historian and author in the six, 50s and 60s. Um, and I filed it away and I thought, you know, I wanna follow up on that later. 
And later I was doing some family history and I found that um, my fourth great grandfather was a farmer in Hagerstown, Maryland, but he bought three land tracts from a merchant in Philadelphia, a Quaker named Henry Drinker. And they said that Henry Drinker was one of the Quakers exiled from Philadelphia in 1777. I said, oh, there it is again. And my uh, fourth great grandfather paid off the mortgage in the Drinker household on August the 23rd, 17, uh, 1803. So uh, he, his name appeared in the, in the diary of Elizabeth Drinker who kept a 50 year diary, which is now published in three volumes because it's one of the most amazing diaries of the 18th century daily life. Anyway, so I, in this first book by Bowen, she said that they were exiled from Philadelphia by the Americans because they refused to bear arms. <clears throat> well, I said, everybody knew that, that they, that they were pacifists. So that was no big deal. Uh, uh, it must have been more than that. And so I looked for books about this subject and there were only two. One was a document book from 1848, which had all the documentation of the government uh, actions taken against the Quakers in the 1777 and 78 and another was a novel from 1955. Um, but no one had really written a nonfiction account of this event, which lasted over eight and a half months and involved 20 people from Philadelphia being exiled to Winchester, Virginia, right before the British Army came and captured and occupied Philadelphia for nine months. So that was a pretty uh, precarious time in our nation's history. The Declaration of Independence was just a year before, so this was the second year of our nation's founding. And um, there were a lot of things in this that was unprecedented. For instance, the Americans suspended habeas corpus which was a right we had under English law since 1215 in Magna Carta. And for these Quakers, they didn't want them to be allowed to get to a court, uh, which would have said that their arrest was illegal. So they suspended habeas corpus. And there were a lot of other things, terrible violations of uh, procedural due process under the American system as well as the English system. And it told me that there, was, there were big stakes in this event. It was important for our nation's founding and I wanted to be the one to tell this incredible story. So that's, that's how I got from here to there. Wow, and so how long have you been working on this? <clears throat> so I've been researching and writing <clears throat> about this for six and a half years. 
I, I thought after three years, I, I had written it. <laughs> but it takes, it takes a lot more to get it in the right shape. So I showed it to a, a university professor at UCLA, and he said, whoa, Ned, this is really important. Uh, and um, here are some suggestions for making it even better. And so I followed up his suggestions and I had four professors in different colleges who were encouraging me, who, who had read my manuscript. And so finally in March of this year, I submitted it to a university uh, academic press. And after you have finished this book, what did you come away with in, in regards to the research that you've done and what you learned, um, how, how did it transform you as, as a human being? Well, I've always liked reading and I always liked reading history since I was quite young. And I majored in history in college and then I became a lawyer. So I sort of got away from it for a while, uh, but as soon as I retired, I started reading biographies of John Adams by David McCullough and Joseph Ellis books and uh, Hamilton by Chernow. So this was a great inspiration to me. And um, I thought if I could find a subject, that would be an interesting way to spend my my later years, shall we say. So it meant I had to go to a lot of university archives. Uh, some were at Haverford College, some at Swarthmore College, some in Philadelphia at the Historical Society of Pennsylvania, and also the American Philosophical Society, which was started by Ben Franklin back in 1742. So I really enjoyed going to these archives and finding original sources that tell me what people were thinking, what they, what they did in their daily lives, how, how this revolution was affecting them. And um, one of the things I, I think I discovered was that the founding of our nation was a lot messier than we are led to believe sometimes. And um, just when I thought that Congress was, uh, you know, uh, writing the Declaration of Independence and many other liberal achievements of the Enlightenment, uh, they also moved quickly to suppress the Quakers because they were dissidents. They didn't believe in war and they didn't want to end our relationship as part of the uh, British Empire, uh, in part because that's where their business came from. They were transatlantic merchants, and in part because uh, England had given so much to the colonies to enable them to grow and to become prosperous, and for these people to be able to support their families and live a good life that they thought that if, if we cut off that relationship, 
uh, we won't do as well. But it seems that they were pessimists and other people were optimists. And the optimists prevailed, thankfully. Uh, but uh, even the pessimists had a lot to deliver to uh, our founding uh, culture uh, of how we did things. And the Quakers have always been very instrumental, instrumental in the founding of Pennsylvania in particular, but um, there were many things that they contributed to our society, even though they were uh, on the wrong side, shall we say, of history during the revolution. So share with us this exile, you said, they were exiled by the Americans. Right. Um, and they were exiled to leave the Philadelphia area and go where? Well, um, one of the things that Congress decided early on in the revolution was some people were important in the local economy, uh, but they weren't totally convinced that we should break off from England. Well, so we'd like to get them out of the way uh, so they couldn't communicate with other people who were, let's call them pessimists or dissidents. Um, and we'd like to keep them uh, in, a, in a place where they won't get in the way of our dealing with the British because it was a pretty nasty fight uh, when, in, when the British army uh, invaded Pennsylvania uh, and Maryland and Philadelphia in particular. So um, there were the Congress, Continental Congress and Pennsylvania authorities uh, named 20 people that they would send away for an indefinite time 200 miles west in Virginia near the frontier. Uh, and so uh, these men were mostly married and with children, and uh, they were carted away uh, under a militia guard to go all the way to Winchester, Virginia, which is at the top of the Shenandoah Valley down there. And did their families go with them or just the men? No, were... no, they had to leave their families, their wives and children in the city. And that concerned them a lot. And um, I found that over 200 individual Quakers uh, helped give some supportive measures that would help these men uh, deal with life and their families deal with life while they were away. So that was, that was almost like sending them off to a prison because if you, you're, you're not able to be with your family. It was. Uh, Winchester, Virginia at the time was where they held POWs. Oh. And you'll remember that Washington struck at Trenton, uh, New Jersey, and captured 900 Hessians, who were the German soldiers who the English brought over here uh, under a, a employment contract uh, to help them kill Americans in order to suppress the revolution. So those Hessians were sent to Winchester too, and they they were held in special barracks, but because, because our people, the Quakers, um, hadn't really committed any crimes and they weren't part of an invading force, they were citizens of our own country, 
and also they were key to the local economy. They treated them tenderly and they uh, uh, were able to pay their way to stay in an inn uh, in Winchester. And when the inn became a little bit expensive, they uh, roomed, they boarded with uh, local Quakers in the Winchester area. Wow. But they were away from their <clears throat> families a long time. And while they were away, the British army was in Philadelphia. And there were some difficult times for everybody because they were an extra uh, 20,000 British in Philadelphia uh, on top of the 25,000 Americans who remained in the city. So when you double the local population, you know, supplies become pretty precious. So they had some hard times, uh, the families did, uh, while their husbands were away. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Ned Donahue, who is the author of Friends as Enemies, The Quaker's Exile Amid the British Invasion of Philadelphia from 1777 to 1780, which is a nonfiction historical narrative. Ned, that is fascinating. So in your book, do you talk about that the Quakers still maintain uh, an evenness between the Americans and, and the British? Um, during this time, uh, I know you had indicated that because they were very, very commercially re responsible and good trading partners, how did they fare during this, this, this period? This was the most difficult time that Quakers ever had in America. Um, they said that they were all 100% against any participation of any kind in war and that they would join neither side. But they really couldn't control all of their 30,000 church members in the greater Philadelphia area. And some of them um, joined the Continental Army or the local Pennsylvania militia. And some of them actually joined the British Army. And one of the things that I do in this book is to actually name names of some of the people who were Quakers and yet joined the British Army or the Continental Army. And uh, people uh, were unsure of what to do individually, but you can, you can tell a group what you think they should do. And if there are 30,000 of them, some of them are gonna go different ways. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And what is your hope that the reader of this nonfiction historical narrative will come away with that wasn't in, published before, what do you hope they come away with and say, oh, I, 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 I really appreciate reading this book because of X, Y, Z? Well, I think they'll um, realize more what people had to deal with day to day in their lives. Uh, and, and these are primarily about non-soldiers. Um, and so what civilians had to deal with while the war was going on around them. And sure, some joined one army, some joined the other, but a lot of people 
were caught in the middle. They either, for religious principles reasons, didn't want to join the army, or they just didn't care about what was happening and just tried to survive it. So this gives uh, a view up close and personal with uh, ordinary people in the greater Philadelphia area during this time that the last time the city of Philadelphia was occupied by a foreign enemy. <laughs> and you indicated that in this book, you, you name names. Were you able to talk to any of the descendants of the, the people that you have referenced in the book? Well, it's interesting you ask that because um, there are many people who, who have an idea about what their ancestors did during the American Revolution, but it isn't always correct. They don't realize that some of the forces pressing on their ancestors caused them to do other things than they might like to think. And in particular, um, I found that um, the descendants of Henry Drinker, who my ancestor had bought some land from, um, thought that uh, all, all Henry did was refuse to bear arms, but it was much, much more than that. Um, they really questioned the legitimacy of the new state government after the Declaration of Independence. And um, so consequently, they thought they were being governed uh, by usurpers, uh, an illegal force of people who ran the Pennsylvania government. And, um, and yet people had openly elected this new government after the Declaration of Independence. So it was quite an interesting time. And uh, it's interesting to, to learn how things occurred from day to day on a really personal level during the revolution. That's what I enjoyed the most. Mm -hmm. And um, during this new, this new state, state government, uh, were they still beholding to pay taxes to the, the British government during this time, or did they just not pay Taxes. That's a good question. The Quakers decided that if they were totally against war, then they couldn't pay the normal taxes because they said the taxes were enacted to support a war. And if we pay those taxes, our conscience will be stained with participation in violence against fellow human beings. So we won't do that. So, and the government, of course, couldn't operate without some revenue. So that meant a very heavy clash between the government and the Quakers. And uh, they had to take strong measures in order to uh, resist the invaders from Britain, along with their Hessian uh, accomplices. Wow, that seems very, very complex. And, and being that their husbands were shipped away, um, 
the Quaker women must have been very, very strong, strong-willed uh, people. Well, one of the important things I found about the Quakers is they had a very strong network. And you think about, you know, the people you go to church with. Well, the Quakers believed in helping each other out. And they were very, very supportive of uh, people who uh, were facing the same problems every day that they were and who believed the same way that they did that wars are unnecessary. And um, uh, so, yes, that's true. How did, does your book cover the period as, as to when the men came back from being in exile? Yeah, they returned April 30th of 1778. So it was mm -hmm. a seven and a half month uh, time that they had been away, although they, they didn't know that at the time, how, how long it was gonna take. And the British were still in possession of the city and uh, the Quakers came back. And then the British uh, retreated uh, two months later and left Philadelphia and went back to New York because the French had come into the war on the side of American forces. And uh, Britain saw this as a larger war between Britain and France and they were gonna need more troops to cover that. So it was sort of a fortuitous thing that happened that um, ended the British occupation, thankfully, of Philadelphia. And how did the, when the men came back, what was the, I guess, the relationships between the Quakers and the local Philadelphians, uh, the Americans, uh, how did they reconcile? Well, the Quakers were pretty insular, so that they were welcomed by their fellow Quakers, uh, but others looked askance at them, and their fellow citizens still suspected that they weren't just neutral, they were leaning more towards helping the British. As a matter of fact, there was a rumor that they had paid uh, General Howe uh, of the British forces a tribute when he entered Philadelphia. And so these rumors had uh, purchased with the, uh, with the Patriots around Philadelphia. And so they continued to suspect the Quakers who weren't allowed to vote anymore until 1789, a whole decade later, uh, they took away the vote from the Quakers. And, they, and the vote was taken away because they would not participate in the, the war. They would not acknowledge the government as a legitimate oh. government. And, oh. and, and they would not uh, participate in the war. That's right. Yeah. But outside of that, I mean, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty bad the way that they were treated, but they were not uh, incarcerated, if you will. They weren't. They had, these Quakers who were exiled had, not, had committed no crimes. So uh, what, they, what the whole exile was under a suspicion that they had collaborated with the British, but a suspicion that was never proved. So it's, for that reason, it's quite, a, quite an interesting story of so, both civil liberties mm -hmm. coming up against national security. Wow. So it has a resonance even to this day. Yes, it does. <laughs> Yes, it does. Um, 
How many pages is your book? It'll be about 300 pages. Okay, so, so it's, it's a good uh, uh, Sunday afternoon read. <laughs> it is, yes. And so when do you anticipate that your book will be published? Either late next year or early in 2022. I, I think that uh, within the, especially within the historical academic setting, that this will fill a void of information that I don't know if has been covered before. Well, it will open things that, that as you say, haven't been covered before. Uh, this particular episode is really much more important than anybody imagined, I think. And um, for that reason, I do think it'll have some impact because uh, it'll bring some new things to light. And with, with what you just said, and why do you think it's important? It's important for our, our listeners to understand. Well, it's important because these were the first two years of our nation's history when our laws were being rewritten. And uh, the laws in particular were in flux during this period. And um, especially laws of treason and concepts of uh, loyalty and uh, things of that nature. And so it was important to our legal system. And there were some firsts and some only times that certain things have happened. Um, and uh, it shows the Continental Congress uh, trying to deal with a difficult situation. Ned, believe it or not, we are out of time. And I want to thank you for coming on our program. Well, thank you so much for having me, Daryl. A pleasure. Look forward to seeing the, the hard book cover to add it to my collection. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are, here, we are here with Mr. Ned Donahue, who is the author of Friends as Enemies, The Quaker's Exile Amid the British Invasion of Philadelphia, 1777 through 1780, a nonfiction historical narrative. Ned, thanks again for coming on the program. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net and on the iTunes podcast under Seton Hall University. I want you to have a great weekend, a great evening, but remember, leadership begins with you. WSOU 89.5 FM.